2: The Queen Mother. I am back once more. I am back once more to open the final stretch of four screen on the country.
3: Jason, I thought she was repeating that because she was doing the back she was doing like a reference to back into the left or something. <laughs> no,
4: I think she's just a little nutty. Let's just let's let her
3: talk. Uh, okay, okay.
2: Today, you embark on the final journey through the history of British film, for which you should be proud and inspired and beloved by the people for what you have done. So I open this with this bottle of champagne. I'm gonna take a quick drink. Cluck, cluck, cluck. Oh, that's delicious. And I'm going to smash the rest over the side of your wall. I seem to have made a bit of a mess, but I'm sure you'll clean that up. And I wish you, Brendan and you, yeah ja- ca- good luck and Godspeed on your, uh, I guess task of sorts. I don't know. They just send me to these things. Have fun. Goodbye, jetpack.
3: Okay, first of all, she doesn't know your name. No. Queen Mother does not know your name, no. and also these oh, should call me
2: Jock. Ja- 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 uh.
4: Well, I mean, it's your middle name, <laughs> Jason Jock McCloud. Yeah, yeah, that's me.
3: <laughs> but like, she. She literally broke a bottle of champagne in a recording studio. Yeah. Like, the wires are are on fire. They're going to be very sticky, I would say, in the morning. Mm. Because I don't use any insulated wire, so it's just going straight to the core.
4: Yeah, I always wondered why you just insisted on bare wire for everything, and I thought it was a bad idea, and it
3: is a bad idea. (laughs) I mean, Jason, this is raw, baby.
4: No, it's you like you like to go you like to rod dog it. No I liked, insulation.
3: No insulation for me, sir. It does look cool. It Looks very cyberpunk. That's why I don't like condoms. Oh, well, that's that's not a message
4: that I'm comfortable uh, endorsing, Brendan. Guys, condoms—they're optional. No, 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 Brendan. No, you're gonna get us. We're we're gonna have to pay money into
3: a, a a charity or something. Oh, Jason, that reminds me. Um, I forgot to mention our sponsor today. Uh, uh, bare skin. When you just want to fuck bare skin who's paying for this uh, who's making money off let me this? just see here uh, it looks like a rupert murdoch oh
4: well i guess yeah okay i get it
3: also be sure to catch new episodes of tucker carlson tonight oh. on its uh no. 6 30 central time on fox i it's it's
4: my favorite source of white nationalism on a on a daily basis
3: JK guys fuck all that shit this is a podcast Uh, I'm not kidding about it being your source for
4: white nationalism no he
3: is they're totally fair and balanced this is a (laughs) podcast about British movies you you would be
4: uh, forgiven if you thought otherwise but we assure you this is about British movies
3: yeah if you got to this point you're probably just like it's about what yeah But it is a British film, and more specifically, the BFI Top 100, that's the British Film Institute Top 100, British films of all British time, as conceived of in the year of our Lord, 1999. The best year. The only year. That was the year Fight Club came out, Brendan. It's the only year. That's the only year. The only... Phantom Menace. Matrix, Matrix, Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace and Fight Club is the uh, best year of uh, our life. What
4: was that movie that Katrina likes? Uh, uh, you know, with Angelina Jolie and... Uh, Gia. Uh, no, not that one, although that is good. Um, and Winona Rider.
3: Oh, Alien 3. Mm, close, but not quite. Alien 2. It's not Gone Girl. Alien that's 1. That's a different movie. Gone Girl Girl 2. Interrupted, that's it. That's a I great was, movie. I was close with Gone Girl 2. Oh. But this movie's not a Gone Girl podcast. No, I feel like there'd be like one episode. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) yeah, about that movie. (laughs) And you won't get it on either of these podcasts, okay? I suppose you could do a bonus episode about the book, but sure. (laughs) 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 And an interview with Gillian Flynn. That's right. Three. You have a trilogy. (laughs) So we talk about the best British films. That's what we do on this show. Um, We're starting our last batch of twenty. Before we delve into this week's movie, Jason, we're going to talk. We're going to read some comments from the movie a fortnight ago. Yes, the movie a fortnight ago entitled "The Lady Vanishes." Comments. The comments today are brought to you by our sponsors, professional wrestler Brock Lesnar, and Jason of the of the First Green and Country Podcast. Yeah, we both
4: put in a, a joint uh, sponsorship. I put in five dollars, and Brock generously put in $115,995, so together we have $116,000. Together, as an equal partnership. An equal partnership, 50-50. You said joint. But uh, he couldn't be here, so he sent me in. Oh, great. I'm glad he could send my co-host <laughs>
3: of the podcast in. To do this I said, me.
4: that's really convenient since I'm going to be there anyways, and he's like,
3: great. Jason, we have a lot of comments, so let's get to some comments from our listeners about The Lady Vanishes. Start us off. First comment, Andrew Littlefield, and Andrew
4: says, a lot of fun. The plot is a bit crazy, but the light tone means don't take it too seriously. This, the 39 steps, and the original Man Who Knew Too Much showed that his days of working in the English film industry
3: produced some classics before his better-known later films. Thank you, Andrew. Absolutely true. I'd also put The Lodger up there with that. Uh, and yeah, the Man Who knew, The Man Who Knew Too Much. The original 1934 version, not that... Terrible remake. I'm just joking. The remake's great.
4: (laughs) Did he did the remake as well?
3: Yeah, he he, uh re redid the movie in like the 50s, I think.
4: Head of their game, those guys. Him and uh, Cecil B. DeMille.
3: Alfred Hitchcock. uh, Some have said the Zack Snyder of his age, of his age, of his day, of his time.
4: Yeah, he's known for his four-hour epics with so much slow motion.
3: Well, that's what that movie was going to be. It was actually going to be the movie twice in the same movie for four hours. But then he thought, you know what? It's going to make the other half of it, a.k.a. this movie again, sometime down the line.
4: And then Capcom stole that idea in the 80s and made Ghosts and Goblins.
3: Yeah, sure. That's the thing that I don't know about.
4: That's fun for those people.
3: Okay. Our next comment is a longie, and it comes to us from our Lord and Savior, our our Saving Grace. Patron the, Saint. The Zeta Jones to our Catherine, Sharon Horwath. Sharon Yes, that's the the Phantoms, Catherine Zeta Jones. That's the <laughs> reference, people. She was the bomb and Phantoms, yo. The Phantom, actually. Oh, yeah. So, like, it was the bomb and Phantoms. Yeah. We're going to get an IMDb goof now. <laughs> uh, Sharon says about The Lady Vanishes I watched it for the first time the other week and I had a couple thoughts. The only thing I knew about this movie for the longest time was that Carrie Fisher misquotes it in When Harry Met Sally. Does she? Apparently. I don't know. I don't I, yeah. I don't think it's I've ever a- watched that movie start to finish. I've seen it once a long time ago. Uh, she says, is it just me or is that car in the opening shot actually a toy car? Its movements are very jerky. I think that's a whole miniature set. Definitely. Much. Yeah, it was a really cool effect, though. Um, is Miss Froy actually Maria Von Trapp from The Sound of Music? I mean, I don't know. That's, I mean,
4: I, to be fair, Sharon, that's, a, that's an easily Googleable answer. I, I don't know that
3: one. I, th- I think she's just trying to connect these movies a, a, as a shared universe. Oh, oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> then, then yes. Then yes, of course it is. Uh, as someone who played the clarinet for seven years, I say with absolute certainty that Gilbert is not playing that clarinet because the mouthpiece is on backwards.
4: See, now this is why we love having people write in, to tell us things like this. Thank you, Sharon. I would
3: have never noticed
4: that. What a, what a dummy. What a stupid, stupid script supervisor that didn't understand how those sorts of
3: instruments worked. More like Alfred Hackcock. Ha! Ah. That sounds much dirtier when you say Hackcock. It, uh, yeah, it really does. Really does. All right. Keep-, keep Sharon's role going. Okay. Charters and Caldecott are real dickweeds. Don't want to help because of sports? Fuck off.
4: Well, sports are very important, Sharon.
3: Uh take that calf out of that laundry basket. At least leave the lid open. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> they just don't care. I love how totally chill this nun is by a man just climbing into her compartment while the train is moving. Yeah, she did seem pretty nonchalant about that. But I guess she yeah, maybe she'd just seen it all. This one man saying he doesn't care about the truth really really hurt me. I don't remember that part. Well, that's a that I
4: I understand. That is a a bad sentiment
3: uh, today as ever, Sharon. Uh, Jason, we have a very similar uh similar point to something we brought up last uh, last time too. Uh, charters got shot in the hand and then just casually walked back into the car, said Gilbert was right, and wrapped his hand in a handkerchief. It couldn't have been more British if they tried exactly
4: well, and the other thing too is that uh, these these boys uh these charters uh, were through World war one, I, I imagine, so the uh, getting shot in the hand, that's nothing to be in you know shelled by the Germans for months at a time,
3: and then she finishes off this comment by saying, "Lady vanishes, and then she finishes off this comment. And then she finishes off this comment by saying Lady Vanishes does have its moments but I think 39 Steps is better overall.
4: Interesting take. Thank you,
3: Sharon. Thank As you, usual. Sharon. Some insight there. Exactly.
4: You take the next couple. I will. Okay. Uh, next comment. Davy Morrison writes in, and Davy says, "Depending on the day, it might be my favorite Hitchcock. I certainly think it's the sweetest and warmest of his. Usually, not particularly warm nor sweet films. I would agree with that from the few I've seen. Yeah, there there does seem to be a lot of like a lot more comedy and human moments in this one than maybe some of his others.
3: Even Thirty Nine Steps, which is like a lot of comedy and stuff, it yeah. it does it's not as like I don't think it's as warm and cozy as this no. movie.
4: No, because the people are on the run and there's kind of a, you know, there's that whole." death thing that's chasing them sure the People wind want to kill it's, them it's the, yeah, wind the wind, the wind has yes, the death wind yeah. uh and of course adam pellman old adam pellman i don't know how old adam is maybe he's maybe he's young old though. old as the wind uh young mr adam pellman writes in and says i love it the 39 steps is probably his first really great film but i think the lady vanishes is the best of his pre-hollywood filmography it rivals north by northwest as the most enjoyable film to watch in terms of pure breezy genre fun Yeah, it is good. And I love North by Northwest. That is a fantastic movie.
3: It does have that. It does have... uh, I think North by Northwest is definitely his most like Hollywood popcorn movie. But I could see how this would have have been a popcorn movie of the time. Yeah,
4: it it has a weird... As we said, it has a weird pacing for like you know modern sensibilities but at the time i imagine this was yeah closest thing to that sort of movie
3: maybe and maybe that's why 39 steps is placed higher on the list just because i feel like that the pacing of the 39 steps is more in line with a modern movie yeah it's more
4: consistent the tone is consistent where we have that that kind of disparate section up front that is cool but is a different tone from the rest of the film
3: yeah like lady vanishes feels more like the year that it came out than 39 steps does yeah, yeah. to me anyway Dana Mifflin, I'm assuming, uh, related to Dunder, so congratulations on everything. I'm sure she's never heard that, ever. Just kidding, Dana. Thank you for this comment. Yes, thank Coming you. up right now on three. One, two, three. Great movie. Ms. Froy is known as commando grandma in my family out of respect for her epic run from the train. I like that. She is a commando runner. grandma.
4: <laughs> yeah. She's a spy for the British Secret Service. She could fuck us all up. No I question. I we just going to
3: say she could fuck
4: us. I mean, probably if she wanted to, because she's very strong and, and resourceful and crafty. Our next comment is from one Ayn Nicole. Ayn, Ayn Nicole. I'm really sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. I, I, I'm just not sure, but we'll, uh, Jason, uh, why are you giving the middle finger to that comment? <laughs> I would certainly not do that. Anya Nicole writes, one of the first of his I remember really watching, a picture of Margaret Lockwood ended up on my wall for most of high school. But that was also at a time when I was watching Alfred Hitchcock presents, so I know I watched the short version based on his movie right before watching the full length original. Both good. Really, they did a version of Lady Vanishes on on Alfred Hitchcock presents. Yeah, that's what I thought.
3: I was weird. Like, that's interesting. I
4: I've watched episodes of Alfred Hitchcock presents growing up, but I couldn't tell you a single thing about them. I don't remember anything.
3: I wonder if he did them. I wonder if he did uh, episodes based on like a lot of his movies. That would be interesting. Uh, I just remember the but um da 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 I really want to see. Um, I really want. I really wish he would have done that for like one of his like music that that one musical that he did. Mm. <laughs> Just on you know, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Um. Oh, my 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 good friend Kate Littleton. who is um,
4: clearly a fake name for Kate Middleton, the the princess that is married to uh, the future King William.
3: Nope, she is the unspooled moderator and she's oh. wonderful. <laughs> um, she says I saw this performed in Bath and really adored it. I haven't seen the movie, but that play is one of my favorite theater memories.
4: Interesting. Yeah, I suppose a lot of and that's the thing, a lot of the movies we've watched were also plays. I think that that strikes me as a more British thing. I mean, I'm sure I mean I know Americans have done that as well, but No, never. But I guess I guess in the 30s we've watched a lot of movies from like the 30s and 40s and it makes sense that a lot of plays would make the jump to uh Cause plays were before movies. Plays were the thing, you know. What? You were, the plays were the thing wherein you would catch the conscience of the king.
3: Oh, yeah. And movies are where you get some booty. Yeah. No, that was established in 1919. D.W. Griffith was an ass man. Yeah, and well. probably pretty racist. Well,
4: but he, you know, he
3: ignorant, he, ignorant. He, he
4: was certainly racist to some extent because they all were back then. But then he did make that movie, *Intolerance*, which was a follow-up to. Uh, uh, the other one birth of a nation and uh, uh was sort of a make good sure you know they made a sequel to birth of a nation we probably talked about this before but i looked it up and and the guy that wrote the book the birth of a nation was based on made the sequel and it's apparently very terrible but
3: i don't know if it even actually exists anymore is it like also super fucking racist oh yeah yeah and and doesn't
4: have the um doesn't have the the historical importance that birth of a nation has because it was a sequel <laughs> I'm it's behind- probably even more racist, I would say, because, you know, like I say, D.W. Griffith not necessarily a straight, like, clan-associated racist.
3: <laughs> I like that you're giving him a little bit of slack. A little bit, a little of, bit slack. of slack.
4: He was, he certainly was racist, but maybe not as racist as people thought more he was. More ignorant than yeah. anything else. All yeah. right,
3: well, what do we got next? Uh, yeah, what do we got next, Jason? Uh,
4: McG writes in, I'm sorry, Michael M.G. writes in, <laughs> Love this movie. It's got that kind of cozy feeling of an Agatha Christie novel. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Bunch of colorful international characters stuck in one place. I wonder if it was influenced by Murder on the Orient Express, actually. Well, it would seem to be. like Because like, that was a very popular book, so it would it would stand to reason that Agatha Christie had a lot of effect on a lot of those early like mystery movies. I mean, it is all on a train. Yeah, I mean, she wrote so many goddamn books and was such a, a, a fixture of culture in a time when novels were still considered like a... You know, primary form of entertainment. Yeah. Read your books, kids. It's good for you. Okay, I just have to know, get up on my soapbox no, here for a minute. Read not, books. No, Read
3: them. I said at the beginning, no politics. <laughs> I'm taking a stand.
4: Read books, kids. Fucking. You fucking liberal fucking snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a hardcore conservative. So I'm like,
3: books are the only type of entertainment that matters uh nicole de rossier russos and again i'm i hope i'm saying that right and if i'm not please chastise me um she says one of my favorites i always try to turn my students onto this the 39 steps and the man who knew too much mostly they're too cool for it which is a shame I hated – man, even as a youngster, even as a young lad Mm. watching these movies that I I was like, oh, cool, we're going to see a movie. I hated that. I hated when these kids in the class were like, (laughs) it's old and dumb, guys. Well, see, when I was a kid, I probably thought that to some extent
4: too. And it it took me a while to kind of get on board with watching stuff that was that old.
3: Yeah, but I don't think I was ever that person that was like visibly like. Yeah, no, I don't ugh. think I was ever like
4: yeah, like getting in people's faces about wanting to watch old movies. But come
3: on, I'm gonna watch Transformers.
4: But I think when for me, anyways, I'm it, not that young, guys. It no. wasn't Transformers. Well, Transformers was around in the '80s. No, it
3: wasn't. It was only it. Michael Bay. Uh, that's the original uh, source material.
4: I think. I'm trying to remember, but I think the black and white movie I saw that really like showed me the black and white movies could be really good was a really good one. It was fucking Casablanca. I and... thought you were going to say the black and white movie Transformers. Yeah, the black and white Transformers, the blood and chrome cut of the Transformers 85 animated
3: film. Transformers based on the 1938 Michael Curtis uh, classic.
4: Yes, that's the
3: one. Uh, you know what? As cliche as it might be to, to say, I think Citizen Kane is what got me to think yeah. black and white movies are well, good because I saw it in school. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. You nice. had a cool teacher. I saw it in Media Studies in grade 11, I believe. Oh, okay. Because I feel like
4: we'd watched some black and white movies in school, and they were always super boring to me, and that was mm. probably part of my bias. But then when I saw Casablanca, I was like, oh, wow, this feels just as good as any other modern
3: movie. Like, And then I watched Citizen Kane, and I was like, oh, okay, I get And then it. you watched the really old black and white movie, Schindler's List. Yes, that was Filmed uh, in the 50s, I but believe. But that
4: that red girl, that was a that was a light in my life.
3: That, that was her name. The red girl. Red girl. All right, last comment, and hit us up.
4: Michael Curley writes in and Michael says, the first time I watched it, I found the first act in the hotel. Pretty slow and uninteresting. Hmm. But when the action in the train kicked in, I started enjoying it. By the end, I was all in. Absolutely incredible Hitchcock. On subsequent viewings, the opening is more bearable as a setup and shorter than I remember. Highly recommend it to anyone who hadn't seen it. I get that perspective. I like it because it kind of gives us a, a, a window into those characters and leads to that warmer feeling uh, toward them.
3: But I can all I can see how going into it, you think it's you just know of it as a Hitchcock movie, yeah. and just seeing this opening twenty five minutes would be a bit off putting. It would be.
4: It will just be like because you know, especially if you know Hitchcock from his American work and you think like Psycho, Hitchcock and fucking the Birds and and thrillers, yeah. and then you go into this and
3: this is how it starts. By the end of it, yeah, you're
4: you're in vintage Hitchcock territory. But
3: yeah, this isn't Hitch, This isn't like Hitchcock when he was making like Ace. Venture. and And
4: if a movie with this exact structure came out today let me
3: get away with that what was it i said hitchcock made ace ventura yeah no he did okay oh okay
4: yeah no he he came back from the dead specifically to make ace Ace ventura he's only responsible kind of why it's the way it is yeah i was gonna say he's only responsible for that transphobic yeah pretty much (laughs) um what was i talking about (laughs) oh rewind the tape but if a movie with this like exact structure was released today, critics would probably eviscerate it because it'd be like why is there so much bullshit up front that is not even like doesn't even feel like the rest of the movie? It wouldn't feel like it was structurally cohesive. And we forgive that because this is a movie from the 30s and the rest of it is so damn good that it overcomes
3: that. Or maybe they'd paint it as a, a brilliantly unique piece of work
4: or a specific callback to this film.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Jason we got to find out. We got to compare this. Yeah. We have to compare this movie to on the, which is on the BFI Top 100 to the movie that is at the same number on the AFI Top 100. So Lady Vanishes is number 35. What is number 35 on the AFI Top 100 and how many times have you not seen it?
4: I've actually seen this movie multiple Holy times, Brendan. Holy shit.
3: Number 35 in the FI list
4: is 1977's Woody Allen directed
3: Annie Hall. Lady Vanishes. Annie Hall. I like Annie Hall. I, I like, like Annie I did, Hall a lot. I Annie Hall
4: is let's let's just let's just for the moment set aside Woody Allen's personal life. Yeah, I just didn't I just want to say <laughs> right
3: now my quick answer does not mean that I think it's terrible. I just it was an easy decision.
4: I've watched Annie Hall many times. It is a very, very funny movie. I've I've always loved it, even despite all that stuff. Uh, as a film, I would say it's better than Lady
3: Vanishes, but I like Lady Vanishes a lot, and I'm glad I got to watch it. But Annie Hall, baby, D- Jason, you just passed me this note. Did you want me to plug your um, Woody is Innocent Facebook group? Or uh, well, uh, let's, let's, let's just let's just keep talking. Let's just keep talking. Okay, because I mean,
4: you can go to Facebook. Oh, no, 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 no. Slash no, no, no. Woodsy Innocent. No, look, 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 It's, it's. Look, it's not important. Uh, okay, Getting Even's a great book, though. Oh, so it's got a it
3: notification. Out. Did you post something? Uh, no. Oh, cool. It's another article <sighs> from Breitbart. Oh no. Oh, Jason. Oh Oh, oh, Jason. I can't believe you posted this. Uh so
4: thanks for listening to comments folks and all the fun we've had and all the times that we've had so check out uh Lady Vantages. maybe check out Annie Hall if you like uh or pirate it I would pirate it probably go ahead and pirate it don't pay for it
3: Jason what is this picture that you just posted All right Okay well we should talk about um our first uh <laughs> our first movie in the next batch of 20 Performance <laughs>
1: Over his steam and I was grinding.
3: So, and this is not a Disney movie or a Pixar movie, but that is Randy Newman singing the title theme. Yes, it is, sir. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the movie we are talking about this week is number 48 on the BFI Top 100. It is the 1970 film *Performance*, Ooh. starring uh, some people that have returned. Yeah. Like, and when I say that, I mean two. Uh, we have uh, James Fox starring in this movie as Chaz, a gangster named yeah. Chaz. Uh, we have uh, Mick Jagger, yeah. st- co-starring yes. in this movie as Turner, a rock star. Yes. <laughs> it really
4: stretched for him. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, we have Anita Pallenberg as Ferber, his uh, basically his girlfriend, I guess. Yeah. But they have a very loose, open relationship, <laughs> I th- believe. Th- th- look, it, everybody's kind of loose in this movie. Um, we have uh, Michelle Breton making her one and only acting appearance ever, I believe, as Lucy. As the other girl? The other girl. Uh, real-life gangster, or real-life mobster, I guess, John Binden as Moody. Alan Cuthbertson, remember yes, him? from, uh, from a Room at a the Top. Room at the Top, yeah. And Life at the Top. I recognized him as soon as I saw him. I'm like, I know that guy. I know I actually, that voice. I read the name, and I was like, oh, I wonder if I'm going to know. Oh, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> Alan Cuthbertson as the lawyer. Yeah, great. <laughs> Basically a cameo yeah that's uh that's pretty much uh johnny shannon as Henry, as a uh, hairy flowers i should also mention but that is uh that is what we got here mm. that is performance 1970 so god save the queen yeah. no i've got a fucking question for you jason sure brendan hit me did you expect anything that happened in this movie no no not really Okay. Not really. No,
4: this movie was a lot out of the gate. This movie took me by surprise. This is a movie that as it goes on, you get a better handle on it, cause, and it kind of gets a little more conventional by the end
3: of it, but right off the bat, this is movie is an assault on the senses. <laughs> yeah, this movie is bizarre. I mean, I knew going into it, okay, we have, we have, of course, we have director Nicholas Roeg hmm. uh, co-directing it with another man named Donald Camel, or Camel. I don't know. But Don Camel is a cool-sounding name, so we'll go with that. <laughs> Don Camel and Nick, and Nick Rogue. That's right. Um, they they co-directed this movie, and I knew Nick Rogue because we talk about. I knew him personally. Um, we talked about Don't Look Now, so yes. we already know that his style, I mean, his editing style in that movie is is kind of comparable to this in a yeah, way. Yeah.
4: Uh, was this before
3: or after? This was shortly before. before. Not not a long. I feel
4: time. like I feel like Don't Look Now is maybe just a, a hair more conventional. Than this one,
3: I'm gonna look that up. You keep talking. Yeah,
4: I mean, this this movie's ostensibly it's like it's like a gangster picture. It's like a a hippie picture. It's there's a lot going
3: on. And Uh, I can confirm also. uh, Don't look now did come out after this. Yeah, this is yeah. So this is a movie. The best description I think I read of it was somebody saying, "Hey, get your acid trip movie out of my film noir. Hey, get your film noir out of my acid trip." Kinda, because it kind of is a split it yeah. it's, it's it's a gangster it's almost like it's like long good friday kind of like uh or get carter that mm. kind of thing for like the first like 40 minutes yeah and then as soon as they take that turn where we go into Mick Jagger's character's world it completely changes yeah it
4: goes a different direction we go from to so- the movie that actually I thought of uh, uh, was a little bit local hero, where it's yeah. you know you have a character that's integrating into a community that he's kind of very unfamiliar with and, uh, and kind of actually a little bit hostile toward. Can you uh, imagine if local hero was shot like this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I I thought of a lot of movies when watching this, Brendan. I don't know about you, but so many movies came to mind. Like seeing some of the gangster stuff, I was really like, Jesus, this is like Quentin Tarantino clearly saw this when he made Reservoir Dogs.
3: Like there's oh. bits in there that are clearly inspire that. That's. Like yeah. documented, yeah. <laughs> Quinter. And, um, and 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 um, also the big one is Guy Ritchie. Uh, that character yeah. Harry Flowers, yes. the mobster, the ba- the bad guy mobster character, yeah. that is a Guy Ritchie villain. Absolutely, one hundred percent.
4: Yeah, uh, I was. Some of the editing choices that were so stark and weird, and some of the angles and stuff, gave me natural born killer vibes. Yeah,
3: I wrote that down too. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of uh, presaging that idea. It feels like it's it feels like it's ahead of its time with a lot of the stuff. Yeah,
4: it, it's it's and and there's some student film in there too, like experimental student film shit that's being integrated overall. Um, cause we see some of that with like kind of weird collections of lines or, or, uh, combinations of shots.
3: I, I got a I kind of thought of Rocky horror.
4: Yes. Yes. That definitely came to mind as well. Right, I mean,
3: Mick Jagger kind of looks like rock. Like, he's it, got a little I, bit of a gender were,
4: bending quality to him.
3: And we were just playing that theme song while looking at the a picture from the soundtrack. He looks like, like he looks like Frank well, that, In soundtrack. that He's a
4: dude. He's a, he's a lithe lean dude wearing makeup. And he is, by the way, folks, let me just say... Yeah, I, when I saw this movie, when I was watching this movie, I'm like, I finally understand why Mick Jagger was a sex like like symbol mm. in those days because he's fucking hot
3: in this movie. He's looking great. I don't know why I were, I don't know why I thought you were going to say sex slave. No, <laughs> no, no. Now I know he was no one sex slave. Now may, I know.
4: Now let's be fair. He may have had a sex slave. I, I I mean I can't say that for sure. He did. I have no knowledge otherwise. This is just speculation. But given his position <laughs> and given the time,
3: it's it's possible. I mean, Jimmy Page had a fucking sex slave. So who knows. But you're right he is like a man's man in this movie like he is well I mean he's he's he is so as in, a man he, would want that man. He's, yeah, well, no, that's it. He's
4: he's doing some Bowie shit before Bowie, but just towing that line. Like, this is what I found so interesting about this movie was really playing with gender like these characters oh, yeah. are in a way that was kind of out there for, I have to imagine, for 1970.
3: Just on the cusp, I think, of yeah. that counterculture seeping in, right? Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. And that, that, that was a character that probably, Turner was a character that at that time would have made people maybe uncomfortable in a way that today, certainly not, didn't no. make me uncomfortable. I thought he just looked great. Yeah. <laughs>
3: No, and so, I mean, I guess we should just kind of say basically what this movie is before we get, because I do want to talk about the idea of like gender in this movie, because it's very fluid. Yeah. Um, but basically this movie starts out, like you said, as a gangster thriller. Uh, Chaz is this uh, I guess mid-level gangster kind of low-level-ish he's basically roughing people up by the way
4: can we just say James Fox I did not expect James Fox to play this role when I saw that James Fox was in this movie I thought oh he's going to play some upper crust role like he always does and he goes the complete opposite direction he's playing a role that could easily have been Michael Caine yeah you know I mean maybe a little younger I mean they also
3: said like when they were talking about making this movie they said they, they they intentionally cast against type they did and it was smart I heard that they wanted brando originally to do it well donald Cam- so donald Campbell was friends with brando yeah um brando abandoned him on like two different projects though there's a there's a report at one point they were gonna they were gonna adapt a novel brando yeah. wanted him to adapt this novel for him and he worked on it and he worked on script on storyboard on all the stuff casting i think maybe even they got like 18 months into it hmm. and then brando was like i don't want to do it anymore
4: <laughs> that sounds like brando
3: yeah so I, th- I think I know why he didn't end up playing the but role. But also,
4: like, I, I think of Brando, like, uh, what was the uh, Last Tango in Paris, what was that, 72? hmm So two years after this, I think of what Brando looked like in that movie, and it's like, you want Brando, that Brando, to
3: play this role, which was clearly for a young guy, like... But I think this was going to be a completely different movie. I mean, yes, yeah, so, certainly that. Yeah, like, he was going to play this, like, soft-spoken, like, older guy, I, mm. I believe, um when james fox is cast they pretty much change it but anyway um so yeah yeah james fox yeah so he's a gangster he um he's he's kind of roughs people up for collection money for his boss uh this guy they want this they, boss wants to start wants to start working with this other guy's business like he wants to make him a, you know a member of the team so yeah. to speak james fox doesn't like this guy yeah. he has a history with him um so he ends up going fucking around with him this guy doesn't like it so he goes to james fox's house and just just destroys it yeah um beats him up james fox shoots this guy yeah uh joey i
4: think his name is yeah he's the guy that ran the betting
3: parlor yeah he shoots this guy kills him and basically goes on the run a little bit ends up at uh turner's bohemian apartment lifestyle ecosystem yeah. which which by
4: the way so let, let, let's talk about this for a sec i gotta talk about this i love this scene because it's a, a good
3: example of why
4: you need to protect your privacy in public he's literally just sitting there in a train station and he's listening to a conversation between this hippie uh, black dude and and this lovely old white lady uh, and they're just having a, a lovely conversation between the two of them. And he's talking about his life. And he's like, yeah, man, I got out of, uh, you know, uh, 21 Hereford Street and something, something square. And, you know, I owe Mr. Turner 41 pounds, but that's okay because I'm going to come. I'm going to get it for him when I come back in like three months or whatever. So he just <laughs> listens to this guy talking. He's like, oh, so there's a free, there, there's an apartment I can go get because if I just pay off the money, I'll probably be able to get it. And I know this a little bit of information. And that's exactly what he does. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah he
3: stays with. He stays with Mick Jagger in this apartment, and then we'll get into this more, but Mm. I just want to... You know, the basic plot. He stays there and uh, basically goes through a whole fucking trip, man. Yeah, man. Uh, Free love and drugs and all that stuff. And then... And then you know we get to the ending, but that's basically the movie. It's yeah. it's very it's a very simple plot. Yeah, the execution is what makes it wild.
4: <laughs> it is wild, and and I, the first thing I have to talk about off the bat is that this movie, especially up front, is fucking brutal. This movie doesn't pull any punches. Like I was thinking about like the idea of like a movie where a gangster goes on the run. Like there's lots of movies like that. Like uh, a Hammer was a good example. That TV show that was on Netflix where. Fucking, you know, Silvio from Sopranos has to go on the run or whatever. and But, like, the character that James Fox plays in this movie, there's no sympathy for him up front. You do not relate to him. You do not, like, he is just a brutal fucking gangster who beats the fuck out of people for money.
3: And this is probably why I thought about Get Carter a little bit. Yeah. Because that's another movie where you don't feel any real sympathy for this character. And yet, it still performs... A very impressive task of making you care about the character,
4: and like in comparison to something like again local hero, if we go back to that of a guy coming into a different situation, like he's he's an American and he's oblivious, but he's not portrayed as like you know a bad dude. He's not like he's not like a he's not like a cutthroat corporate raider or anything. He's just a fucking business guy coming in, and then over the course of the movie, we see him kind of like you know, soften up and learn local stuff. I'd argue the guy from Local Hero is a bigger villain than Animal House. (laughs) That's probably true. Um, But whereas James Fox's character, he's just a brutal fucking gangster and he's hateful and he, um, this all eventually sort of happens because he's taking liberties and he's doing shit in his, because it's fun for him rather than working for the business. And that's the line that comes up, like, we work for the business, I believe is what Harry Flowers says. In his poorly dubbed dialogue.
3: The, yeah there there's some there's some weird idea i mean there's a good there's a good there's reason reasons behind that, that. Yes. yeah this movie has uh, was essentially lost to time for like a long time oh i thought it was
4: because they were redubbing it for american audiences they were
3: redubbing it for american audiences and but they also kind of and they kind of lost the original mm. soundtrack for a while but also it, this movie was kind of lost to yeah. time for a while wow. um it didn't it was made in 1968 didn't come out for two years oh wow the studio was not happy with it. But, um, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about that. I do want to play, uh, one clip here. Um, mentioned Chaz and his character, and I do want to play a little clip of him intimidating someone. And you'll hear it also, guys. I'm pretty sure it's in this clip, but you'll hear the weird ass soundtrack yes. in the background. Oh, my. Enjoy. So here we go. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? Look at his genocide. Oh. Oh. Correspondence, not answer.
0: Yes! I want that pig Pooley! What's
1: that?
0: Are you Pooley? Yes, sir. You no, know right. you are Pooley, you're a disgrace, an incompetent disgrace. Right. You're not to run. Business that. is business, and progress is progress. Where's your brother? On the bitches! Answer yes or no. Mr Brown, the officer on it? Strengthful, mum. Filthy you need help help and protection well we offered it my governor personally you had an appointment 15 minutes
1: you You call this a service to the
0: public look at this equipment not
3: maintained is it
0: now your technician mr wilson makes you weep eh? yeah makes me weep
3: so that's just that that's his character because we said he's a brutal guy Mm. that's just an example of it um and in that in that scene you heard a little bit of the music in the background
4: yeah, again, uh, evoking other people. Like it reminded me somewhat of David Lynch. Like the mm. it's very deliberate, very like discordant background noise that is almost unpleasant to the ear, but is serving to you know kind of reinforce the the brutality of the scenes of the 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 weirdness of them.
3: So would you argue like that the weird like edit like you know the cross cut editing mm-hmm. the kind of weird just assembly of shots sometimes, the music. I feel like it's more prevalent in the back in the back like hour of the film. Hmm. Do you think like the reason it I, I thought it was interesting. It's kind of like slowly easing you in, yeah, right. Because it happens like in the first forty minutes, but it's yeah. more sporadic. But then as you get into the weird shit, it's like, oh yeah, remember we've been setting you up for this the whole time.
4: Yeah, and I wonder how. I wonder if that was the deliberate choice of the editor to help make sense of this. Because as I understand, like this movie took a lot of editing to get it to where it was. Mm-hmm. Um, that obviously the studio was was never particularly happy no. with it, but they they did take a number of passes at it. The editors and came up with this and it's it's pretty impressive and and i could see why it maybe turned off people in those days who weren't uh ready for it
3: even now that's it's it's an intense experience especially that first bit well yeah <laughs> and i mean we'll get to it a little later but this movie was not well received when it came out yeah. at all yeah no like, that for, doesn't surprise me um so, yeah, so we got all this music we got chaz um is kind of a psycho yeah and it just all is very disorienting mm. And like you mentioned the music is on that level where it's like is this annoying or yeah. is it just like really effective? Yeah,
4: is it meant to make you feel uncomfortable because it it is definitely doing that. For mm. sure. I had to like turn it down at a certain point where it was just like ouch, come on guys, but I understand
3: it. I get it. Yeah, this isn't like what I would what I would throw on for a bunch of dudes at a party.
4: Yeah, and also, we should talk about the very opening of this movie. Because
3: guys want to watch performance, bro?
4: Yeah, we throw that on, and then the very opening of it is uh, uh, an intercut between a car
3: driving and uh, our, our hero, James Fox, having some very rough sex. Uh, what I originally said, is this movie opening with a rape scene? Because I thought it was a rape scene at first. It's interesting, too um it's almost like we're getting oh this my little film glasses here
4: yeah i'll put them on
3: it's almost like we're getting the two worlds of the movie right here because we're getting the 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 car driving like you know the gangster style shit at the same time we're getting that like sex like that rough sex and like you know this movie presents a bohemian lifestyle with like Mick jagger and everything but it's almost like the movie's setting you up right away these are the two worlds we're in. The two roads that lead to banging. <laughs> no, I mean banging is one. The, uh, the, banging gangster. is one.
4: Well, that's, that's really what the gangsterism is about ultimately, isn't it? It's about money. It's about the power. And it's about the weeman.
3: But isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's about the weeman. But isn't it kind of interesting, too, where they set him up as this very... Like, the first time you see him, he's a very sexual being. Mm. And then in, when he goes off to that second... Well, <laughs> sexual being, we, we watch him, and he's, like, having sex with his girlfriend, and, and that starts off fine. And then it's like we get whips involved, well, well, and we get some really just violent shit. But, but that's what I mean. I mean, he's not, like, conventional at all mm. when it comes to that. And then later when we get him entering the other world, it's almost like having seen that, we know there's something there yeah. that he's keeping down. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's. Yeah.
4: Oh, I was actually wondering, Brendan, and this is a little further ahead, but like uh, I was wondering if there was like some implication that that Harry Flowers was gay and perhaps had some sort of affection for James Fox character. Oh, I don't know. And and I only say that because of how he reacted when he left, how he was like laid up in bed and he seemed very depressed. I mean, um, as well as and I guess this was in a dream sequence, but uh, at one point we see Mick Jagger singing a song and he's at Harry's desk and on the desk is copies of like wrestling magazines and like bodybuilding magazines and shit. Again, I don't know if this was directly implied or if I'm just seeing, if I'm just reading into it, but I feel like there was something there that may have...
3: It, it could have been. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't catch it at all, but you, you... I mean, I also I also came on here with the wild accusations uh, at uh, Charters and Caldecott. That's true, that's so, true. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know...
4: Maybe if anybody has any insight, please let us know because I just want to know if I'm crazy or
3: is Harry Flowers gay? Maybe. You could tweet Jason at Jason D McLeod. That's M A C L E O D. Well, you
4: could wonder if maybe there was something between them, and it was part of like uh, uh, James Fox's character, shame, that is then somewhat relieved by his experiences in this hippie house full of Bohemians
3: uh, uh, of free love and free drugs. And by the way get mick jagger i know this it's be a reality show but fuck it get mick jagger to play his turner character and let's have a reality show called hippie house can i just say mick jagger is fantastic in this movie he is he's great he's
4: great and i i can't say i've seen too many other movies with mick jagger he's only done a few free jack free jack of course uh (laughs) which i think i saw a little bit of on tv one night yeah um but he's great in this movie and i'm surprised he hasn't done more acting because he seems to have talent um,
3: should we hear a little bit of him? Yeah, let's do it. Let's hear a little bit of Turner um, in the bathtub with uh, his two ladies. By the way, anytime there's a bath scene in this movie, the bathwater is filthy. It, it, it's like Brazil. Yeah, it's really. It's there. Real we cool. go
4: another movie I can reference. Brazil. Here we go.
1: So I say to this guy at the office, "Why are you so mean?" And he just says, "Your visa is finished, okay. and and you you're not in a place of learning, right?" All right. And, and you've got, and you've got to get out of the British Kingdom and to go back to France. That's really insane. you put it think. When was mm. it? I don't know. Last uh, week. Last month. So I said, is teaching me English, you know. And I said the boyfriend is learning his books and and everything. And magic stories. First thing in the
0: bloody morning.
1: And then he asked me, where are you leaving? And I said, Hilton I don't Hotel,
0: the triple tap dance so in my bloody basement.
1: Oh, this is very illegal. Yeah,
0: further.
1: So I said, the Hilton
0: Hotel. Listen, I don't want any more bums in my basement. A juggler, madam. I don't want to. Juggler.
1: I don't want to. You'd love her. Yeah, you might like her.
0: You'd love him.
1: Do you think I should wash my hair? Mm-mm, no and he said you're juvenile immoral danger <laughs> and you're not desirable
3: <laughs> uh, one thing i know i want to pick up on in that scene too when we when we hear him talk to the ladies they refer to um um chas yeah. as him and her in that same scene Huh. Because he says, like, you know, but the juggler, because yeah. Chaz shows up and says, you know, I'm a juggler, which is another, like, little metaphor, right? Yeah. You know, juggling between, you know, yeah. uh, different lives. And he says, I don't want her. Hmm. And then he says, but you'll love. And then she says, but you'll love him. And he says, well, you might love her. <laughs> so it, they're just that's another thing that I maybe that's more of a subtle thing, but they're kind of just like abandoning. Gender terms so they don't mean anything no. which again this is 1970 it's
4: this crazy. is some this is some uh, cutting-edge shit brendan yeah so they basically drag him into this lifestyle uh sort of unwillingly maybe willingly i don't know he's, he's clearly uh, curious uh, he's, well, i mean they dose him they dose him well, they, yeah. they
3: dosed uh, um, uh Chaz yeah with mushrooms <laughs> That's,
4: okay yeah so i suppose it is ultimately uh, unwillingly
3: yeah i don't know if it's i don't know if it's super voluntary
4: Well, she's also fucking, like, they're doing lots of drugs. I'm pretty sure she's shooting up at one point. We see her shooting some heroin into her uh, ass. Well, she says it's uh, vitamin, what does she say? Like vitamin E or something. Yeah, well,
3: and, and, okay, so Anita Pallenberg, that's who plays Ferber, uh, also really good in this movie, I think, too. Mm. She has gone on record to say that that scene where she's uh, sticking herself with a needle, that she did real heroin in that scene. That's what she says. Now, we have no way to prove this because R.I.P., but... She said in that scene that... Did she die after that scene? No, she died, like, n- much later. Okay. <laughs> if, if, if the heroin took 32 years to kill her baby, <laughs> I don't know if she took... With to some it. real creepin' shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, isn't everything...
4: I, uh, I just, I, I I wonder when people say things like that because it's like, well, unless you were doing that shoot at the end of the day, that might have been an issue for actually, like, you know... Yeah. Because, filming
3: other scenes. You know, people get all these misconceptions, but at the end of the day, this was a Warner Brothers studio movie. Hmm. I really doubt they would have let people do hard drugs yeah, on the Yeah, even,
4: even the Trailer Park Boys, they smoke rosemary because they got to fucking get through the day. They got to finish the shoot. They can't be all fucking stoned.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: Although apparently they had to tell Seth Rogen to stop smoking weed uh, during Pineapple <laughs> Express because he was just doing that all the time. <laughs> I can see that. Like, look, look, dude. We we get it. We get what this movie's about. But we need you to be able to perform,
4: sir. And speaking of performing, performance. Now that's Ooh, a movie.
3: Ooh, I've not heard that movie in a long. Time. Actually, it was quite recently. Yeah, it was. It was mere seconds ago. <laughs> so. And, and, and the idea, okay, well, the title too, right? Yeah. Performance. Because this this whole movie, um, or half the movie, Turner, a.k.a. Mick Jagger's character, um, is convinced that all, all Chaz is doing is putting on a performance. That, mm. That's not who he is. Yeah. Because there's an interesting line later in the movie too where they say that Turner has, uh, one day he discovered who he really is. Yeah. And it made him upset. And he's mm. trying to, like, bury that deep down. Almost like saying, like, it's it, this movie's very nihilistic. It's yeah. almost saying, like, you know, we put on a show because maybe we don't want to confront who we really are because we probably wouldn't like that person.
4: Or we have confronted that part of ourselves and we're like, we don't want to be that. So we'll construct some other person to be and be much more palatable to those around us.
3: yeah. Yeah, because Turner's like, you can't be this person because I found out that I'm not the person I thought I was. Maybe maybe that's behind. it. I don't know. Well, I
4: mean, and, and he definitely is like he's a gangster, right? So being a gangster, you have a certain kind of personality. all his life. He
3: wanted to be a gangster. All his
4: life. He wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> but he, uh, Karen! Sorry. he has to he has to put on a specific kind of persona to be an effective gangster, whether that's him or not. I mean maybe not totally. We get to see a little bit into him through the the use of the drugs kind of opening him up to uh some new experiences if if involuntarily. Yeah. So um, I guess I guess
3: the point of this movie is just drug your friends. <laughs> drug your friends. Kiss your enemies.
4: Lots of mushrooms all around for Marry everybody. your uncles. Those are some fancy looking mushrooms they got in this movie. I don't know if those are ones you should eat.
3: <laughs> yeah, they looked super poisonous. <laughs> <laughs> um I wanna I, I wanna go back to the music just for a bit because I wanna play this. Now it won't work quite as well because you're not gonna see it. Yeah. A lot of this movie is visual. Like yeah. there's a lot of visual stuff in this movie. But this is the scene where he actually um Chaz actually murders Joey. Hmm. Like after they've destroyed his apartment, and he slowly gets up and shoots him. And I just wanna play because the the sound design I think is crazy. Yeah. Um so let's listen, shall we? <laughs>
1: Chaps. Look. Oh, chaps.
3: So there's that Hitchcock shot.
4: Yeah, the push
3: zoom kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, yeah, it's like a reverse pull or something. Yeah. Um, there's the flash of white on the screen when the gun goes off, and then the screen just goes red when like, he dies, like, like almost like '70s orange.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And and that the, I love that '70s synth kind of sound there.
3: It's almost very sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, that, by the way, that is my favorite. You, that is my favorite scene as far as cinematography, as far as editing goes. That mm. that scene is cut together wonderfully. Yeah,
4: absolutely, and and it's a catharsis because it's like you know him getting back after being violated by these guys. Like yeah, they
3: they they like beat the shit
4: out of him. They tore his pants off. They fucking wrote poof on his walls. Is that, Oh, yeah. I didn't I didn't see that. That's, okay, a, that was another thing why I was wondering if maybe there was a connection with flowers there.
3: Okay, and and also like. The, I mean, I know, obviously, you'd get angry because they just destroyed him, too, but maybe that
4: just sets him off a little bit more. Yeah, it's just it's digging at a very, like, specific type of wound that he has.
3: Mm. Yeah, and I mean, you don't feel bad. That's the thing about this movie, too, is you don't feel bad for the guy he shot. Mm. You're like, well, he's obviously an asshole, too. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Well, I mean, mean,
4: you feel a little bit bad for him because he was a guy, he owned that betting office, and then uh, James Fox character just goes over and fucking smashes his
3: window because they want to bring him in, don't they? But James Fox doesn't smash the window. Harry has the guys go over and do it to get him to work with them. James Fox fucks with him by showing up and just being a cocky asshole. Oh, okay. And that was enough to... That, like, yeah, wow. that's what I mean. I don't. Wow. I think Joey deserved to get shot. Yeah, no, for sure, for I sure. Mean, I think that was an overreaction just to being a dick, I suppose. I mean, I feel like they were going to kill him. Yeah. Ultimately, right? It maybe? seemed like that
4: they were going to do that. Well, I mean, because it would be weird to just leave him alive, but maybe they were. Maybe they
3: were just going to send a message, but obviously yeah. they uh, didn't get the chance. No no so he kills him he is dead as fuck It also reminds me and I don't again as I, another week goes by and another it reminds me of a movie that I I can't name Yeah. but I feel like there is another movie where a gangster kills someone that he shouldn't have killed and goes into hiding somewhere uh, with like an the interesting whole yards. character I mean I guess that I mean I guess that, I don't think that's the one i was thinking of but yeah, Sister you're act. Not wrong Um so what we go I believe plays a cop um, no. I don't believe she's a uh, uh, British gangster in that movie. I thought
4: she was just a person. She was like a lounge singer that witnessed a murder and had to go undercover. I've never actually seen the oh, first Sister Act, but maybe. I've seen Sister Act 2 a million
3: times. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Sister's what I had. Sister Act 2 and Jaws 4 are yeah. the movies you've seen many times. Yeah.
4: Well, no, I saw Jaws Jaws 4 the once. You mm. helped
3: Michael Caine uh, no. buy his mansion. I do love Michael or Caine. Or buy his, what is it, his boat or something? Something like that. Bottom yeah. of a house.
4: Something yeah. useless.
3: Mm-hmm. Like a, a useless, like a house. Like a house. Just sleep outside, you jackass. Mm. <laughs> what are you doing, you prick? You stuck-up prick sleeping in a home? Well, you think you're so big because you got four walls and both
4: your nuts? Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, look at me. I got uh, shelter from the elements. <laughs>
3: Is that your new character? Yeah. <laughs> this guy, guy it's with guy who lives in a house. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look at me! I've got a dwelling. Hey, you want to contact me? Guess what you can do: write a letter to my physical address. Uh, don't put it in my mailbox. <laughs> I need to mow my lawn every day.
4: <laughs> that that seems like a lot. What are you, <laughs> Hank Hill? fictional character we just created uh well don't bury him yet yeah Yeah, no i'm I'm burying him
3: what are you vince russo just burying this character immediately
4: immediately we introduce a new character after weeks of build-up only to bury
3: him immediately (laughs) um maybe we should also listen to um i think is the weirdest scene in this movie and that i know that says a lot but there is a scene where okay so in the movie Maybe maybe we should set this up first though uh. by saying that the color red appears in this movie a lot. Yes, and that weird shade of red too. Mm. We mentioned that it flashes when he kills Joey. Yeah, um, there's paint all over the walls. Yeah, when they destroy his apartment. Yeah, and he to hide to kind of go into hiding. He takes the paint and fucking
4: yeah. runs it through his hair he kind of he kind of resembles sort of a redheaded max headroom with this fucking paste. Like, yes yeah. thank you i was like where am
3: I, i've seen this person before but that that whole idea um and then so so turner like Mick jagger thinks that he is a redhead because mm. like, he's fucking high as fuck all yeah. the time probably and they have this weird scene where he shows up after having gotten rid of the paint in his hair and they just keep saying like red dye dead right i'm just gonna play it because i it was bizarre
0: oh there you are sorry to disturb has anyone got a sixpence for the phone
1: uh can i uh use the blower up here we haven't got a blower up here
0: (laughs) what in god's name has he done to his hair he's blown it yeah well that's it yeah i've got to ring up my agent again Oh, I fancied the red. No, no, it was the red was died. Dead. Died. Red. Died it. Dead. Red. Red. Van
1: Gogh, eh? Oh, no, this is a normal.
0: The normal? Yeah.
1: I was just having a laugh. Having a laugh, you see, with my act, with my image. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I thought you would. Uh, he reckons, my agent, that, uh, time for a change.
0: It's time for a change. Why is boy? Yeah, so can I. Personally, casting one's mind back, yeah. I rather liked it. No, you fool! Your act. What? Yeah, what?
4: It's it's really got the cadence of like an experimental student film, but the acting is much
3: better than that. Yeah, this is. The, <laughs> I mean, this whole like I said, this last hour of the movie is very avant-garde. Yeah. And that scene is the is probably the most time, the most I was ever watching this movie, being like. Yeah, I don't know what to say about this. Did they bring Ingmar Bergman
4: in for a day to fucking direct a scene? It feels like Ingmar Bergman, <laughs> doesn't it?
3: By the way, I always confuse Ingmar and Ingrid, just yes. the names. Yeah. I always say like, oh yeah, Ingmar Bergman in the, in, in fucking Casablanca. And people Although, are like, no, no, that would be odd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be
4: happy to know there's literally only two people named Bergman from Sweden, so it's fine. Oh, thank God. Yeah.
3: And their names are so close. <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> Coincidence. Yeah. But yeah, I think that scene's super weird. And I mean, the movie takes a, for like 10 minutes. There's a 10 minute chunk of this movie where it's just, it, I, it's unpalatable. Like, I don't know what's going on yeah. when, they're, when they're on mushrooms. Yeah. And they're just talking about God knows what.
4: Yeah. And if you've, uh, have you done mushrooms, Brendan? Once. Once. Okay. Well, if you've done a lot of mushrooms, that would probably resonate. Uh, just the weirdness of it all. That, yeah, I, I, I get what
3: they're going for, and I think
4: they effectively convey kind of the confusion of a, of a hallucinogenic trip like
3: that. Oh, you know what? I just want to point out something real quick. The red, the color red thing, yeah. uh, Turner, Mick Jagger, also paints the walls red. Just want to admit, not yes. not black as his song would have you. Uh, no, think. no, because in the song he saw a red door, but then he wanted painted black. But this one, he this must be a prequel. Yeah, is this whole movie a prequel to the? It's song, a prequel to the black? song painted
4: black. Yeah, because it's when he painted uh, the door and everything else red, yeah. but then he changed his mind, and, and that just, was the song.
3: Yeah, and Jim Morrison was like, "Get that paintbrush away from me." <laughs>
4: <laughs> what does Jim Morrison have to do with this?
3: You said the doors. He was painting the doors. Oh, ha, ha. <laughs> just one of the this doors. Guy over here, because I don't know any
4: other doors members. Yeah, well, why would you? They still play, I think, or they were for a while.
3: Who'd they ever kill? Uh, Jason, what were we talking about before that? I don't know who The Doors killed. Uh, We were talking about uh, Performance starring Mick Jagger. Yeah, the Rolling Stones have one more kill than The Doors. (laughs) But yeah, like Mick Jagger, you mentioned is great in this movie. Yeah. I mean that that should get emphasized. He is great yeah. in this movie. He is just like, he's got this weird energy, and like he's really, pardon the pun, he's really performing. Yeah. Like he they even said, like, when um, people, you know, said, Oh, a lot of critics and a lot of people at the time said, like, oh, Mick Jagger's just playing this weird version of himself, and they are like, I assure you, he is not. Yeah. Like apparently he was on set on time every day, was a total professional. Um, giving I like you know getting feedback from him. Anita Pallenberg Mm. actually helped write the script. Oh, really? Like she had a lot of input on the script on the set. Um, so this is a very collaborative kind of movie, which you wouldn't think. You Mm. watch this movie and you're like, oh, this is like one dude's vision. One crazy director. Yeah. (laughs) Um. But like, but like, apparently, yeah. He just he's he is playing a part. Well, is that kind
4: of the nature of it? Like, the movie itself is sort of bohemian in its uh, construction, where it's a bunch of people working together rather than having like an iron-fisted dictator, you know, really like. I don't like how you made that motion when you said iron iron-fisted. iron-fisted dictator. What would he do with his iron fist, Brendan? <laughs> wink, wink. Jerk off. Yeah, that might cause some rust cuts.
3: <laughs> anyway, continue was i talking about uh iron fisted
4: yeah yeah that it was it's that if if people were giving their input and taking it that yeah it was sort of a bohemian approach to this movie about bohemian types libertines and such and
3: that's why that movie bohemian rhapsody is such a hit yeah all the bohemian shit Mm -hmm. all the fucking movie's terrible no that's shame um also you get okay so we to talk about just mick jagger being in this movie in 1970 Hmm. well 1968 Ish is when they would have filmed it. Yeah, this was like like right when the Rolling Stones were like huge. But that, exactly. He was already a, a huge star. Yeah. And the studios were like, you've got Mick Jagger? Mm. Great. Then they submitted their first cut to the mm. studio. And Mick Jagger originally didn't show up until an hour into the movie. Yeah. And they said, okay, first of all, you need to bring him in earlier. Um, and we can't not see him for the first 40 minutes or an hour, you need to do something with that. So, there's a shot early on in the movie when he's like painting, mm. he's painting red or whatever. That's literally just there because the studio was like, We need people to believe that Mick Jagger's yeah. in this movie. I don't even remember it. Yeah, it's so quick. Yeah, it's almost like Nicholas Rogan, Donald Campbell were like, Boom, there he is. In.
4: There he is. We, we could actually have obligated ourselves to that scene.
3: Yeah. But like yeah that's it's it's a it's a huge studio thing and when they saw this movie Jason they were horrified. Yeah. <laughs> they
4: were well as I understand they thought they were going to get the Rolling Stones version of a Hard Days Night and that that, that is not what no. this is. No not at all. Mick does get some musical numbers in the movie of course. Oh should we just play his musical numbers? Yeah let's play some one of, let's play one of his musical
3: numbers. This is this is a, a a scene in which we it's kind of also a flashback because we go back we're going back to a scene where um, Chaz was meeting with or like James Fox was meeting with Harry Flowers mm-hmm. and he was like, you know giving him the order about don't mess with Joey. I know you guys were friends, but Whoa. don't do anything, but instead it's Mick Jagger. It, in the this scene. is a drug-induced hallucination is what this is. Yeah, and it's it's a music video yeah, basically. basically. But let's listen to a little bit of it. I like that. Turn it out. on a hot and dusty night,
1: We were eating eggs and sammies When the black man there drew his knife Oh, you drowned that Jew in Rampton As he washed his sleeveless shirt You know, that Spanish-speaking gentleman The one that we all call Kurt It was Mike Cyril! Come now, gentlemen I know there's some mistake We've been, Curtis. I remember you in Hemlock Road,
2: 1956. You're a baggy little leather boy with a smaller piece of stick. You're a lashing, smashing humble of man. Your sweat shine sweet and strong. Your organ's working
1: perfectly but there's a part that's not screwed on. let a look. Let's have
3: And in that music video, he has all of Chaz's like buddies, all his gangster buddies, in Mm -hmm. this hallucination, stripped down to nothing, and just start dancing. Yeah. And it's almost like, well, in the video, it's almost like it's like he's exposing everyone as like this is not who you are either. Come on. Yeah. I also want to point out that did you know that there's a there's one thing that Mick Mick Jagger does in that movie that Gary Oldman referenced in another movie. So Mick Jagger's sitting there at the desk, and he he takes the lampshade and. Uh, shoves it and it like comes back and he kind of ducks and then it comes back again he just gets up and stands out of the way. Yeah. True romance. Oh. When Gary Oldman is playing Drexel, he does the exact same thing hmm. and Gary Oldman said he did that after like performance. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's such that's cool, that's so yeah. cool. Like Fun I didn't think this movie which I had never heard of, when I heard that there was like all these influences, I was like, "Really?" Yeah, just watching
4: it, it's like you can clearly tell if you have a, you know, a relatively you know, Good Bread the Movie canon, which I believe I do, even if I haven't seen a lot of movies, I'm at least aware of them. It, you, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of people that were inspired by this thing.
3: Yeah. And, and I mean, I've got some more behind the scenes stuff, but let's talk about the ending for a second.
4: Because
3: hmm. the ending of this movie shocked me too. Um, yeah, it's
4: really weird. Uh, so, of course, the gangster shit catches up with him because because he's been drugged. He had been in contact with his friend Tony. Back in, uh, you know, back in the old neighborhood, trying to figure out how to get, you know, a passport so he can get the fuck out of the country and get to the states. He's gonna take a boat, and so they had a thing all arranged. But then he gets all drugged up and misses it. Yeah, and uh, then calls him after the fact and is like, "Oh shit!" And Tony, of course, is sitting there with the gangsters. They learn where he is and they go after him.
3: Yeah, and they find out where he is, and and uh, he pretty calmly goes away, but not before. He shoots and kills Turner. Like, he shoots Mick Jagger in the head. He does, yes. And that's, that's the only person he kills. So, at first, I was like, okay. I wondered, is he killing... I thought he was going to kill all of them, because I thought he was going to kill them because they might just know too much. Yeah. But he only kills Mick Jagger. He does, yeah, and then leaves w- calmly with the gangsters. He,
4: he does. But here's the thing, Brendan. I don't know if you noticed this. And oh, maybe I'm confused. But when the car is leaving, and we see the car, we see Mick
3: Jagger in the car. So that's it. <laughs> yes, and and the thing is with there when when he kills him, Mick Jagger even says the line, "I'm coming with you." Yeah, and he says. I don't think. What do you say? I don't think you know where I'm going, yeah, or something yeah. like that. And I, of course, I thought of I know where I'm going. Of course, you did. But <laughs> well, I was thinking like he's like he's basically saying like no, I'm gonna get killed. So but but also, but Mick Jagger
4: is yeah. No, I know where you're going.
3: Like. But Yeah, but it's also like a second meaning. I think where he says I'm going with you. Like yeah. this experience is coming with you, no matter what. You're different now. Like yeah. you're a different person now, and that's exemplified in that scene, like you said, where the car is driving away. Chaz is in the back, but when you see his face, it's it's Turner, it's It's Mick Jagger Jagger wearing those clothes and everything, and you're like, is that
4: is that him having his Turner moment? Is like Turner talked about discovering who he was, and Uh, that's when he decided to make
3: classic movies. That's right.
4: (laughs) The Turner at that moment we're talking about, like discovering who he was, is this reflective of at that moment, like as soon as he's killed him or whatever that that and he goes
3: away with those gangsters, he has finally discovered who he is. I think so. Also, like he's not because if if this was Chaz, he's not going calmly with those gangsters.
4: No, no, he's a psychopath. Like, based on the character we've seen, yeah, he would put up a fight and go down in a hail of bullets rather
3: than, you know, uh, give up his pride and go with these guys. Exactly. So you know he's not completely himself, mm. but then maybe he's taken a bit of, like, you know, Turner along the way. They they do end up, Chaz eventually does, they they dress him in drag and everything. Yeah. Like, and, and, and actually, you know what, I want to play another scene here where um, he's confronted with the idea that he should ex- embrace his feminine side, and he's very resistant to it. Mm. Um, I just want to play when Anita Pallenberg is talking to him.
0: Mm, you love it. Mm. Come inside my squares. I'll introduce you to Ick, the light god. But be fast and change your beautiful dress, or my curiosity will go elsewhere. Tell me my gluteus maximus, hmm? How does it feel like, huh? I said I'm not oh, one of those! Big butch! Mm, Rita Hayworth! I said hmm? no! <laughs>
1: You're
0: sick! Ow. You, you, you degenerate! You're perverted! Ow! What do want to get out of my face? I I'm gonna polish you, The old? Yo, what's he want? Maybe a little mirror. A little dark mirror. My mirror? No! A little no, dark he shan't. mirror! He shot not The thieving slag! Listen! You won't take it away, you fool! He just wants to take a look at it. He's stuck! Stuck! Why? Why? Because he's lost his demon, that's why. Yeah? Yeah, he thought he had it under control, juggling all those balls, millions of them. Till <sighs> one day, he was looking in his favorite mirror, admiring his image, see? And when suddenly he saw it a bit too clearly, and it was just a beautiful little freaky, stripy beast, darling. So he thought, maybe, maybe it's time for a change, he thought. And then immediately, as he watched, the image faded. His demon had abandoned him. Clough, he was gone. Yeah. He's still trying to figure out whether he wants it back.
4: Another movie I want to make reference to just because of the mirror thing is at 1. point we see James uh Fox's character fucking in front of a mirror and I just thought American, American Psycho. Psycho.
3: Yeah. Yep, 100%. <laughs> in that scene a little later in that scene she holds up a mirror to his face and it literally makes half his face him yeah. and half of her face. Yeah. And then and also when she shows the mirror the mirror on his chest it's her boobs yeah. on his chest. So it's yeah. like she's expo- like you know and he and he's very uncomfortable. Very much so, yes. Um but yeah, so th- there's that um I also wanted to uh talk about just like Donald Camel for a second. Mm. He was a very uh <laughs> very interesting fella. Um definitely legitimately into this bohemian lifestyle. Yeah. Um and you know, he had he was, you know, known to have threesomes all the time and shit like that. Nice. Um, Unfortunately, there was some talk about... So, Michelle Breton, who plays Lucy, who we didn't really talk about because I think Which, she's... Which, by the way, she's
4: great. Uh, she's great. I think she's quite attractive. Uh, I also think that at a certain point, I, I thought that James Fox was having sex with Mick Jagger and then she rolled over and it was her.
3: Dude, so much so <laughs> that I wrote down, oh, that's progressive. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but no, she, she
4: does kiss um, the other uh, girl, doesn't she? Yes. Yes, yeah, so they, they
3: got that going on. Um, but I want to say about Michelle Breton is... There were some reports from some people that, you know, they said, you know, it was, the, it was uh, not the safest time for actresses. I imagine not. In that time period. So they said she may not have been as protected as she should have been. Mm. Um, she was also coming from that world of, like, being in these threesomes with, like, Donald Camel and stuff. So she was kind of in a relationship with him at the time. Uh. Sort of. Um, also, here's the crazy thing. Mick Jagger and Anita Pallenberg, their, their sex scene in this movie... A lot of people believed was real. Mm. And I say this because remember the last Nicholas Rogue movie we talked about? Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland, a lot of people alleged that they had sex for real. Yeah, And then Warren Beatty heard of this, showed up, and was very angry. Because he didn't get to? (laughs) Well, no, because he was (laughs) with Julie Christie at the time. (laughs) Same kind of thing happened here. Is There was, you know, uh, people allegedly said, oh, I think they had sex. I think they had sex. I don't know if they did. They probably didn't. But apparently Keith Richards... Parked his car outside because he was he was with Anita Pallenberg <laughs> at the time. Parked his car outside the, the 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 building where they shot that scene. They weren't there at the time. He just parked his car outside and sat there for like a day. They clearly didn't have the same
4: relationship that Slash and Axel had where they would fuck the same chick. So <laughs> Um,
3: but it does, it does it it interestingly interestingly enough too, Anita Pallenberg was also formerly in a relationship with Donald Campbell. Oh, it, I feel like, man, the energy on this set must have been weird. Lots of sexual tension. Holy shit. <laughs> then you have uh, John Binden, who plays Moody. He's like one of the um, the gangsters. Mm. A real gangster, notoriously difficult to work with, um, and would purposely ruin scenes so he would get paid overtime. Was he the guy that looked like Jon Favreau? Uh, I don't. He's moody. I'm not sure which one he is. He there. There's a few different ones. I don't know how to describe him because they don't really give him any. Well, there's the dude who's
4: clearly a Jewish dude.
3: Okay, it's not that guy. Okay.
4: <laughs> and I only say that because there. Was, he at one point was holding a paper, or there was a paper near him that said the Jewish news.
3: But, but he was basically. Um, he was basically a guy that would go into bars and just start fights to show how tough he was. Oh, so he's Begbie. <laughs> exactly. Um, he actually went to court. There was a high-profile uh, court case about him for the for the murder of a man named Johnny Dark. He was acquitted, and apparently through this whole thing, he started this like, um, I guess in anyway in 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 England anyway, this famous like uh, thing called the Galbraith Law. Mm. Uh, because there was another man who was accused and they tried to say like, well, there's not enough evidence to have a, a jury decide this guy's fate. And they're like, sure, there, there sure is. <laughs> so that started with that. Um, another thing I kn- I wanted to mention is <laughs> this movie was so crazy. The experience of filming this movie was so crazy that James Fox took 15 years off acting. Wow. Yeah! Wow, that's 1968, crazy. 1968. He didn't make his next movie till 1983. That's crazy. He became an evangelical Christian. Oh um, no! I don't know if he was like a born again or whatever. <laughs> well, if evangelical, yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he basically the criticism about this movie when it came out caused him to do some soul searching, mm. and he decided that he really liked Jesus. Wow. Um. Well. Yeah. Congratulations to him. <laughs> um. Are there any like other? big things you kind of want to get into i mean i think we kind of talk. i think we kind of covered most of the stuff
4: no i think uh, bits and bobs will probably highlight any of that
3: all right well then let's uh let's do what we do jason let's take a break we'll be right back age of radio <laughs> I see a bit and I want it to be a bob. I want some bits and bobs. I want them bits and bobs. <laughs> don't, 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 don't.
2: I want them bits and bobs <speaking> and bits <bobs speaking> and, and the bobs and bobs. Not <speaking> have to turn my head and hit my nose. That's your Q,
4: asshole.
3: Bits and bobs.
4: We got nudity transposed with a Rolls Royce. Yum. That's how we start this fucking
3: thing. Also, it already reminded me of Don't Look Now. Yeah. Right off the bat. I was yeah, like, oh, a little this, bit of that. This sex scene cross-cut editing style is the, the sex scene from Don't in Look In a now.
4: car driving along the road that's very Shining.
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> car driving. The Shining
4: stole it from this movie. Yes. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, the sex just gets weirder and weirder. That's fun. Uh, the lawyer was familiar, as we said, was Alan Cuthbertson, and he was fantastic in his, like, minute and a half of screen time
3: i like how delicately put together chaz's house is hmm. too it, it, that also feels very american psycho yes like all his shit is neatly laid out and that and that makes that scene later where this house gets destroyed so much more harrowing because hmm. you're like oh fuck this is like <laughs> this is like the neat freak
4: i'm gonna make a fan cut of this movie and uh cut in a bunch of huey lewis in the news okay yeah it's gonna be fun
3: <laughs> I, I gotta ask you a question sure. i actually wrote the down to ask you Uh, what do you think this movie would have been like with Edward Fox? Mm.
4: Well, he's also a very
3: talented actor. I think he could have handled it. A More intense, I think. Maybe. Because he was in The the Day of the Jackal. He was in The Day of the Jackal. Um, And I think he's the crazy person, the psycho in Gandhi? That general that just like oh, oh yes, yeah I yeah yes. oh Darryl. yeah I love that yeah. scene yeah um well
4: that's the thing I I don't know if I've ever heard I mean I'm sure he must have but where Edward Fox played like a character that was kind of this like lower class kind of gangster mm. character
3: but I mean James Fox didn't either
4: yeah but we shouldn't just compare the Fox brothers to each other just because they share the same name no They're they both have competent f- actors in their own right nope they have to fight for our love so when when uh, Chaz goes to vandalize that that uh, uh, Rolls Royce they really went out of their way to to do a number on that car and i feel like there would have been better ways than bringing a jug of acid with them
3: oh is that the uh the the um, chaz intimidating people montage
4: yeah they fucking they 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 tie up the uh driver of the car they dub acid all over the fucking car and then they tie the driver to the front of the car and they shave his head for some reason uh and just leave him there like they really are sending a brutal fucking message to this guy
3: yeah what do you think about the scenes where, um, like, there's a scene where Chaz is talking to Harry, mm. and he's telling him about like, you know, don't mess with Joey, don't. I know you guys have a history. Blah blah blah. The scene. Did you know it's like the, the cuts between the cuts. Um, the the color starts to dissipate, and mm. then all of a sudden it's just in black and white for a couple yeah. Of seconds. Yeah, it's
4: weird. It's weird. I've been playing near near Automata lately on PC, and there's a couple of
3: weird black and white scenes like that too. And I'm wondering if that's referencing this movie. There's also a line between there's also a a weird line between violence and sex in this movie, because Mm. in that scene where they destroy the apartment, I mean, Joey starts whipping him,
4: whipping him. They have his pants down around his ankles and his bare ass exposed, and they're clearly going to do something terrible to him, uh, which is avoided when he manages to get a hold of the gun. Yeah. Who knows what would have happened? Yeah. Who knows what they were actually going to do to him? Yeah. I think it was pretty clear, though. There's some weird soundtrack choices in this movie beyond just the weird David Lynchian like soundtrack. there's also there was one scene where there's like a, it felt like like stock library romantic movie music thrown under a scene and it was not appropriate to the scene really, but hmm. gave it a weird vibe. Uh, I like when Harry goes uh, anyone for a nightcap and he opens up the window and it's clearly morning. <laughs> that made me laugh. That's a fun little joke. Uh, 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 Chaz keeps Playboys on his table. Yeah. On his coffee table, in addition to a massively oversized Playboy Zippo lighter.
3: <laughs> I also wonder if that was like a major tie in because 1970, I feel like Playboy was just starting to.
4: Well, Playboy had been existed since the 50s, and it was kind of a cool thing. Like, it was seen like as like if you were like a swinging bachelor, like Playboy was kind of that vibe. When did they first start doing nudes, though? 55, yeah. 50, 55? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, Marilyn Monroe was topless in that. It wasn't until later, though, they started showing Bush. Yeah. <laughs> well <laughs>
3: eloquently stated Thank that you. was a good day Yeah, <laughs> Jason, Mar- Jason has it marked on his calendar
4: that's right oh and some of the characters in this movie like some of the like background characters like that cop that shows up that's got a weird fucked up jaw it looks like he had like part of his jaw removed it reminded me of spaghetti westerns like Sergio Leone would get like locals to be in his movie because they were interesting looking and and I love seeing shit like that because that's a much more realistic texture of humanity when you see people like that in films it's unlike today which as movies become more diverse Brendan yeah uh, which absolutely they are today. They also are becoming more homogenous in that we see hot people for the most part, or people that are considered good looking. We don't see, you know, normal people with weird faces, and and, and like the like the guy in uh, UHF, you know, at the end, you know, I got me a neat watch. That guy.
3: Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now. Normal people with weird faces does sound like it could be an Albert Finney uh, movie on this list. Absolutely directed by Terry Gilliam. <laughs> well, no, it would probably be like Tony Richardson or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I gotta mention that the build up to Mick Jagger's appearance is very carefully done. Yeah. I feel like in this movie, they I mean Mick Jagger has a very specific image, mm. and you put him in your movie that's carrying a lot of weight. and I think the directors are being very uh, careful with how they present him. Um no, he doesn't seem
4: too far off from the Mick Jagger
3: we know. He doesn't, but again, I don't like, I feel like it's close to his persona, but not yeah. to the man.
4: Yeah, well, exactly. Like, they didn't change his hair significantly, other than that scene where he's playing the boss in that music video. Yeah, that's like, what he does. He, he the... looks like Mick Jagger would look like on stage, and he may be wearing some costume that's a little more outlandish, but.
3: I also wrote down that it was strange to introduce, it must have been strange at the time to introduce Mick Jagger in bed with a man, but I don't believe that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> now that I read my note. Yeah, there you go. But they do introduce Mick Jagger as having a threesome. That's the first thing he does on screen. Wow. I mean, he's a besides, baller. Besides Paint Red yes. as a prequel as we said to Paint Black.
4: What an introduction, eh? Some uh obviously Mick Jagger being in this movie, I don't know if he specifically inspired this, but a lot of Delta like there's some Delta blues in this movie, like certain scenes are scored with this kind of bluesy sounding and then of course when he sings, you know, it's Mick Jagger, so he he loves blues and that's what inspires those guys. He even at one point is singing an old blues song. Um on his guitar
3: did you notice too um when he when he grabs like the he grabs a microphone stand for a minute and does like a quick little performance he can't help it he is Mick Jagger in that scene like hmm. his mannerisms are totally Jagger he can't stop it he, he's he's
4: that that seems to be like those scenes are like the the one thing they did to kind of like appease the studio it was like okay we have Mick Jagger singing and being Mick Jagger in the movie are you happy
3: what about and what about like the design of the the art dealers remember that scene mm. where these guys come over and they try to sell Mick Jagger some art and they're weird twins and they've got, yeah, like, they yeah. got like these weird costumes and he says like oh I can't afford that but I will take the frame <laughs> and I was this like, like funny guy
4: this funny guy at one point we hear some like early like I would call it slam poetry when he when uh, ever Edward, Edward Fox when James Fox first walks in like he's like somebody's got a record on and they're playing a guy reading a poem uh about black liberation i have to imagine i'm not familiar with the work but Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps the audience could inform me and so i would know uh let's see what else
3: we got here at jason d mcleod that's M A C L E O D. let me know mick jagger wants to get rid of him initially because i guess he's too square and and we didn't know yet at the time that it was in fact hip to be square. Yeah,
4: no, Huey Lewis had not uh, had not really come in. I imagine Huey Lewis was a child when this movie came out. So I
3: don't know if he's a child. I mean well, he's, a, in he's the, big in the mid '80s.
4: What's well, 15? Okay, so maybe he was in his early twenties. Okay, I don't know how old Huey Lewis. Uh, is. Maybe,
3: maybe maybe it was early enough to be is that Huey we Lewis would still know. alive Oh yeah, he's just deaf. Should we get him on? Oh, is he actually?
4: Yeah, he's lost his hearing pretty bad. I was going to say should like we get so him many on, rock stars. I was going to ask if we should get him on the show, but uh, we, we'd have to shout.
3: Shout! Shout it
4: out. And then he'd be like, Yeah, no, Tears for Fears, fuck fuck 'em. <laughs> yeah, Huey Lewis
3: uh and Tears for Fears had that major feud.
4: That's right. Uh let's see, they have a Polaroid camera.
3: That's oh, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, we should well you mentioned that kind of because he was going to um uh Chaz was calling his buddy Tony from yeah. back home and he says, Well you have to make up a new passport photo, make sure you look different.
4: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny because the the he asked them if they have a Polaroid, and this uh uh attempt to make a Polaroid like passport photo turns into a fucking photo shoot where they put him in a in like a suit and everything and like you know give him like a really nice you know like an artistic photo that is not appropriate for a headshot in the least <laughs> yeah, they definitely like edit it in post yeah
3: <laughs> yeah. And he's like, uh, we need to do this again. He's <laughs> like, I just need a small black and white photo. That's it. Yeah, That's And then it. and then I think even Turner kind of catches on to why he needs it eventually. Yeah. He he's like, oh, you need it like passport size. Yeah. Uh, oh, and did you notice we, we played the scene earlier, but the scene where they're talking about the red hair dye, that really weird scene that we could not really decipher. It's another scene where Turner and Chaz's face combine. Yeah. I mean, like they're, kinda they're together.
4: It's like that optical effect of it overlaying on top of the face. Yeah. yeah. That's, a neat, that's a neat scene. Yeah. They're, they're more alike than they think.
3: We're not so different, you, you and, and I. I. Uh,
4: at one point, uh, what's her name, Anita Hill? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> what's, what's her name? The, Anita Pallenberg? Uh, Anita Pallenberg. Did you say yeah. Anita
3: Hill? I did say Anita Hill. That would be problematic. That would be weird, <laughs> yeah. she,
4: she would probably be a child at this time. Um, <laughs> Anita Hallenberg. Pallenberg. Pallenberg. She's at uh, one point, it seems like she's smoking opium too. She's smoking a pipe that looks like an opium pipe. And it's like, man, what the? They got everything there. They got all the drugs. That's at, great.
3: At, at one point in the movie where we get the scene where he calls Tony and we find out that the gangsters are like in the room with Tony and finding out where Chaz actually is, I actually wrote that scene shocked me for a second because mm. I was like, oh, yeah, this is also a gangster thriller, like yeah. a normal gangster yeah, thriller. Yeah, then it co- finally came back around. Yeah. When a man comes around. That's right.
4: And that's pretty much all I got there. Uh, It's definitely a movie that would benefit from multiple viewings, I would say.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing like I didn't know what to expect, and I'm still not sure what I watched. Yeah. Okay, so I do want to talk about just briefly, like you mentioned how Warner Brothers, well, we mentioned how Warner Brothers was like, we don't like this. Yeah. Apparently... Apparently during a test screening, the wife of one Warner Brothers executive vomited in shock. Jesus. <laughs> That's a bit dramatic. Uh, Nicholas rogue said that a Warner, another executive commented on the scene in the bath and said, God damn it. Even the bath water was dirty. The, the, the movie was shelved. Uh, the movie was shelved with a header. Of Warner Brothers, when he basically said no amount of editing, relooping or rescheduling will cover up the fact that this picture made no, makes no sense. <laughs> um, so it went by for two years before being released Like, it took a total change of administration at Warner Brothers to get this thing released. Mm -hmm. Two years after it was supposed to be. Um, So, suffice to say, it does not get well received. Yeah, People don't know what to make of it. Um, And this is a movie that got significantly darker as it went on. Like, as as it got written... more and more it was it was uh, straying away from this gangster idea uh, it, actually initially the opening by the way is like an hour but yeah. it got cut by like 20 minutes
4: yeah cuz it is a long time before we see Mick Jagger and i wonder like yeah the, i imagine the reception was poor at the time because anybody that would have seen promotion for this movie i'm sure Mick Jagger was front and center in it oh yeah you know and and you do have that idea that oh Mick Jagger's in a movie it's going to be some sort of musical you know rolling stones thing and it wasn't because the rolling stones didn't actually themselves As a band, didn't have anything to do with the soundtrack, ultimately.
3: Yeah. Well, they almost wrote the soundtrack, yeah. but the fact that Anita Pallenberg and Mick Jagger might have had sex and Keith Richards was with Anita Pallenberg at the time, it, it basically, they were like, you know what? Let's not do that. That's not uh, riskless. <laughs> um, but they did. So this movie, again, uh, some of the reviews at the time are really vicious. Like the New York Times said, it is not a very good movie, but the personalities of, of Jagger and Fox w- were enough to make it the kind of all around fun that, is, that in the movies is often tried but rarely so well achieved. However, Variety said it was needless, boring sadism. <laughs> uh, Los Angeles Times called it a pretentious and repellent little film. Ooh, ouch. Um, that it cannot rise above the world it pretends to examine.
4: Damn.
3: Gene Siskel was sort of middling, but he also didn't really like it. But he did say um, he gave it like two and a half out of four. Um, and he said that the first 40 minutes crackle with excitement, but then, quote, the pace slows down considerably, the nudity tires, and the growing attraction of Fox for Jagger is unprepared for. Um, but in the late 70s and 80s, it started to gain this, like, cult following. Mm. Um, by the 90s, it had undergone, like, a complete critical reappraisal, much like White Chicks today yeah. Yeah. is now <laughs> considered a classic of Some cinema. movies are just ahead of their time, right Yeah. <laughs> god i watched it recently guys it's not it's not still not good (laughs) shut up (laughs) and it was also this idea that like the time it was made 1970 it's just such a combination of like the old school and the new school like this this gangster movie that you would have typically seen around this time with this like shit that people were just experiencing for the first time yeah and didn't know what to do with really experimenting and trying new shit Right, it, it, yeah, it's this com- combination of like the criminal world of the East End and then the Bohemian culture in London. It was kind of coexisting at the time in like a, a really weird.
4: <laughs> well, and did you notice too uh, how when they go to the poor neighborhood, that's like the only time we see black people in the movie? Oh. is when they're in this poor neighborhood.
3: I did not know that. Yeah, uh, this movie cost uh, this, but the budget of this movie was seven hundred and fifty thousand um, pounds. So I imagine Mick Jagger didn't take like a huge pay for this. Maybe maybe that's a lot in 1970. I don't know. It's um, a Passion project. But yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much all I have. Um, so Jason, oh, I, I guess we should talk about um, it. Does it does get nominated for one award? Mm-hmm. Does not win, but it is nominated for best uh, f- best editing at the BAFTAs. Cool. It loses to a movie that we haven't covered yet called Sunday Bloody Sunday. Oh, that's right. That is on the list. It is. It could be next week. It could be now. If it is, well, I'll sound like a I'm cheating. Yeah, but you're not. I I'm swear. Not. We don't know. We don't know where we're going, but we'll soon know where we've been. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess, Jason, I'll just. I had a heart. I mean, I thought about this for a while, so I'm curious to hear your take. Um, what did you think of this movie?
4: I liked it ultimately. Uh, it was a lot. It was a lot to take in at first and trying to get into it. And it's definitely a movie that I think would benefit from a second or a third watch. Uh, I, but I think it's really interesting and I think it's a it's a meaty piece of cinema to bite off and chew on because there's a lot to work through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you'd be more rewarded for doing that. But yeah, no, this is clearly a, a foundational film for a lot of people and, and has clearly inspired a
3: lot. Out not, of it. not something I expected, by the way, to no. be a foundational film. No, a movie
4: that I'd literally never heard a word about until never. now. When I saw that Mick Jagger was in this, I was yeah. like, what? I was like, oh, no. I never
3: heard of this. It's like, wait, Free, Jack? <laughs> Free Jacks? Mick Jagger? <laughs> um, Yeah, no, I, I'm there with you. It took me a while to kind of think. I was like, what is my opinion on this yeah, movie? I know, but, it, it was really, it required some thought. But I was like, no, I, I do like it. And I mean, I'll ask you, do you like this better than Don't Look Now?
4: That's a tough one. That's a tough one because I think they're both similar. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. That That's something that I'm going to have to save till uh, we get to the end of this list.
3: Okay. And we'll see how it plays out. I will say, I, I mean, I think I still like Don't Look Now the best because that is one of my favorite movies on this list. Mm-hmm. But this is this is something that I was ready to write off as being like, oh, this is his other movie on the list. Yeah. But I don't think I'm ready to write it off it was uh, it was an experience absolutely um, and for that reason it's so unique it almost like that it almost necessitates its place i thought you were going to say and for that reason i'm out i'm <laughs> <laughs> out no. god save the queen no no it almost necessitates its place on the list uh, the fact that it's just so unique and so like you said foundational yeah uh, unexpectedly so yeah yeah, that's what I think.
4: And it's one of those movies that I think if it were made today, if they did a remake of it,
3: that the uh
4: the Chaz character would not nearly be as hard edged and brutal. I think that they would soften that somewhat.
3: No. Um the weird shit would be just as weird though. Yeah, I would hope. Maybe so. even weirder yeah. <laughs> with the technology we have now. Yeah, they would they would find some way to make Chaz more likable. Much in the same way that I'm assuming and I haven't seen it yet, obviously, but I'm assuming in the get Carter remake, Stallone is probably made to be more likable than Michael Caine. Well we'll see. We'll see I think I will, I will eat my shoe if that's not the case. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so there you go. There, that's, our, that's our take. Um, but Jason, now we come to the point where we got to find out what we're talking about next week. That is right. And what are we doing, Brendan? Well, we're not rolling dice. We're done with that. We are drawing the next movie out of an envelope. Um, it, is, uh, it is my turn to draw the next movie out of an envelope. And I am going to do so. And then Jason is going to tell us what movie we're going to talk about.
4: Ladies and gentlemen... Please rise for the drawing of the movie.
3: Oh, Canada. I'm going to shake it up a little bit just uh, for Brendan. Oh, Okay, here we go. All right. Now, Jason, will I get carry on up to Kyber? God God help us if we do, because we've been
4: waiting for it for so got long. got
3: something, and something else is hanging on. I'm trying to shake it. All shake right, it. all right. Tell me what number we are first. Oh, I'm crossing my fingers, Jason. It's number 29. Okay. It's not what I was hoping. It's not what
4: we were hoping. But this is a movie I have wanted to see for a while, so I'm interested. This is uh, number twenty nine is with Nail and I. Ooh. Yeah. This is the movie with Richard E. Grant. Yes, and I believe it may be on Criterion.
3: I believe it is. Yeah. So there you go. With Nail and I. Check it out at your local Criterion Channel video store. That's right. Um, that's what we're gonna talk about next week. Yeah. I'm excited. So. Get ready, folks. Strap in. Carry on up the Kyber is hiding somewhere. It's It's gonna gonna
4: be. It's gonna be. We're gonna do that right before the third man. It's gonna be the
3: second last episode. (laughs) At this point, at this point, we should almost gimmick the the fucking draw. Yeah, Christ. (laughs) But uh, okay, with Neil and I, that's what we're gonna talk about next week. uh, A little dark comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, But until then, Jason, I just want to say they can find us all over social media. We are on Facebook. We are on. twitter at bfi underscore pod you can find us on all the podcatchers. of course our home base is age of radio but you can find us everywhere 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 everywhere, everywhere. everywhere. jason where can they find you well, they can find uh, me on the Internet, not in real real life. Well, unless you in, want to give out your in, in address r- in real
4: life, you just have to look around and you'll probably find me. But on the Internet, you can find me at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D over on Twitter. Just, you know, retweeting and living and just hanging, man, and just being cool. And he performs for you. I, I perform all the time. I would. Uh, I can't juggle. But well, uh, Oh, okay.
3: Well, never mind. Just forget this whole segment, oh, Jason. All right. You can't juggle. What's the I, fucking point I'm sorry. I, no. I apologize. No, it's too late. It's oh, too late for all that. God damn it. You can follow us on TikTok
4: for Screening Country. Maybe I'll post something. I haven't, but I should. You posted a couple videos. Yeah, a couple. I got to do something
3: else. There's a cat and a dog. Yeah, I'll, I got to talk about the the current the current thing. <laughs> okay. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, yeah, let us know what's up. Email us for Country at gmail.com. Why not? Just... Just say hi, man. Just say hi. Just
4: let us know you're out there.
3: Let us know if I post another episode that uh, isn't the episode. <laughs> please do. Please do. <laughs> Hopefully, never again. Uh, but that's it. So I just got to say to you, Jason God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screen and country, I'm with Nail. And I'm I. Bye bye. Man.